Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for July 15th, 2018. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, uh, have a big show, a lot of things to discuss, and in about 20 minutes, we're going to have our uh, friend from Pennsylvania for about the third time, I believe, uh, come on the show. We're going to welcome back political consultant out of western Pennsylvania, Mike Mickus. Mike's worked all over, but um, is from western Pennsylvania, and I think actually ends up doing more races there now than he did in the past. So he really has his finger on the pulse of the Keystone, Keystone State. Um, so we'll be excited about that. But we're going to go across the sea. Um, like Donald Trump did, and discuss international affairs again. Um, there, there seem, we seem to be discussing international affairs a lot, but not a lot of happy news, I don't think. He went over there, went to Britain. Um, there were balloons and protests and golf courses, and then criticisms, Theresa May, and how she handled Brexit. Uh, that's kind of how the thing started. Um Tim, kind of give us what your thoughts were on the Britain part of Donald Trump's trip. Uh, Just the Britain part, huh? (laughs) Just the – we'll get to the other part. He gave an interview to the tabloid The Sun, you know, over there. uh, In that, he essentially uh, managed to trash the prime minister and bragged on her chief opposition and uh, of course, then later on he said, well, that was fake news and uh, that he never <laughs> said it. And even though we have a video of him actually doing it, and uh, I mean, he intervened in British domestic affairs. Um, how long can all of this type of stuff go on before it affects our long-term relationship? with countries like this, countries that we share uh, military and other intelligence with, uh, countries that we are the staunchest of allies with. You guys saw the massive protests, tens of thousands in London with that 19-foot balloon. Trump spends (laughs) one night in London, uh, then escapes to his golf club in Scotland where he's protested against again, and he manages to break every type of decorum with the Queen that you can think of uh, after meeting 11 other presidents. Just just imagine how she must have felt. This goes on in every country that he goes to, doesn't it? Yes, and then I think uh, Prince Charles and 
I believe Prince William, not Harry, but William, uh, refused to even meet with him following that. I don't know yeah. if that was already their thought oh, no, or was, that was an reaction to how they treated uh, the Queen. No, it was Prince Catherine. Philip, Prince Charles, and Prince Harry. Uh, and uh, Well, Prince Harry's out of the country. And, uh, so it's Prince William. Yeah. Prince William. Yeah, none of them would meet with him. And yes. you know, well, I mean, well, that's what I'm saying. Have, they had to have the Queen's, um, you know, approval to do that. They don't just do that without, you know. I mean, Prince Philip would not uh, leave the Queen without her approval. So there have you have to believe that there was approval from the Queen for them to not show up and to not, you know, meet him. Yeah. Two words to I that. Gotta say, Poor Queen. What did she deserve to, do, to have to be the one to stay back? <laughs> well, she's the queen. She's the queen. Yeah. <laughs> but I have to say, the Brits really have us on signs, man. They had some great signs. I don't know if you oh, all saw yeah. them, but they were, some of them were really, really good. We can't really talk about many of them on the show, but they were excellent. <laughs> they did a great well, job. Well, and, and because sure that, of that, that, I'm sure that uh, tr- that the president is in a twist about it too. I mean, they disrespected him. Yeah, and and that's kind of goes. He had like almost no public appearances during the trip to avoid because they knew that he was going to get such public opposition. I mean, I saw the both a daytime and a nighttime march in Scotland, and I mean, it looked like. Um, one of the largest marches that had been held in Washington since Trump became president, and he's not even the president of their country, and they felt that way, and they did two <laughs> marches in the same day over it. Um, just mm. something else. Well, um, you know that this trips, you know, continues to go on. Um, he moved over, and I guess there is a NATO portion, and there's, and he's talked a lot about the EU in general. Um, I, I honestly, it's there's been so many things. I know we're going to miss a facet or an aspect to this. But I guess, uh, you know, just today he talked about how the EU, the European Union, pretty much every country in Western Europe and Eastern Europe and Central Europe um, that comes together for the European Union, they are the greatest enemies to America right now. Now, he did try Uh to couch it in economic uh, economic terms, but he said that they were the greatest enemies of our country. Um, Kim? How outlandish is the statement? Well, I mean, how outlandish do you want to get when he does he does this consistently now, David? Our friends are now our enemies. Our enemies are now our friends. We hate democracy. We we admire dictators. Uh, Up is down, and down is up. People's Minds have all got to be in a fog trying to watch this now. Nobody, we're getting to the point where nobody knows what's true, what's not. Uh, it, it, you you don't want to think this guy's just totally bonkers, but I'm to the point I don't know what else to think. Yeah, um, Catherine, he makes this statement. And we already know that he started trade wars across the world, across the globe, and, and when we just don't even begin to know the ramifications for our economy 
is this going to be more of that where he now follows this up with more tariffs and, and does more damage to our global trading and impacts our economy? Oh, absolutely. I don't. I mean, I think um, the existing tariffs or the you know new tariffs are bad enough, but with this kind of language and behavior, I think what you said earlier in the you know in your intro that you know we do have we we do have to think about like long term you know generational um, impact on um, our long standing relationships with these countries. Um, also, it's just so embarrassing. You know, he's just, he's like a bull in a china shop sometimes. He, he just, he, it's just horrifying to me the way he behaves and the the lack of um, diplomatic skill he has. But I think, but the, and the worst, or not the worst part, but one of the worst parts of it is that, is that he kind of likes that. Like he thinks it's, you know, good that he doesn't, you know, kowtow to these, you know, to I guess they're probably going to start calling it political correctness, what we call diplomacy. So I, I, it's very scary. I have to say, uh, the more he travels outside the country, the scarier it becomes for us here in this country, in my opinion. Agreed. Uh, Tim, at what point do these European countries, and, and maybe in some cases the European leaders, or future leaders, because we're starting to see, you know, they've been writing articles how it, it may be that the fringe right or left of some of these countries, because a lot of these countries have pretty middle-of-the-road leaders like Macron and, and Merkel, if they're replaced with the new leaders, at what point do some of these leaders or the people in these countries that may be voting on these elections say – this is not just Donald Trump. This is America because this is who America chose. And so even, you know, if in 2020 Donald Trump gets replaced by a much more Obama-esque figure, uh, a much more sound mind uh, coalition bridge builder comes in, do they say, no, you, your country has to pay for what Donald Trump did? Uh, could we see this moving forward? Well, gosh, I hope not. Right now. A lot of countries, their diplomatic core, their top levels of leadership are, are, are trying to reassure each other and the world at large by saying, look, he's talking and his actions are not things that can't be overcome. And at least for now, he talks, he leaves our country things pretty much go back to where they were we'll get through this it's not america it's him they'll have another election but i tell you what if he gets elected again in 2020 oh my this the the sort of things that you intro with that you asked me uh really could start happening and uh it 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 would just be utter disaster. I, I just don't know what else to say. Yes. Um, Catherine, do you think one of these big leaders, one of the top leaders of one of the European countries, will actually, in a very public and concrete way, really stand up to Trump, more so than any level we've seen yet? And we have seen some, but not to the 
total, you know, level it could be. I mean, I think it's possible that um, Merkel or Macron, probably not Theresa May, um, could could um, stand up to him in some way. It might not be um, something as obvious as like making a statement, or it might be you know something more behind the scenes that would um, sort of trigger. Uh, the rest of the countries to recognize that um, they're willing to stand up to him. But I'm, I'm just not sure how, what impact that would have at this point. I mean, we still are the strong, the, you know, we still have this giant army. We, I mean, they're, I'm sure uh, afraid of what, because he's so unpredictable, I think it must be, um, somewhat difficult to think of a way to challenge him without fear of some kind of awful repercussion. If I, I mean, I hope I'm not too dramatic in that, but I, I feel like there might be some concern about that. Yeah. And I do think this, I do think they don't want to have to, and they're probably waiting for November, 2018. Uh, they're probably depending on, the American people to repudiate Trump's party um, to some extent, because if that Mm. happens, then that's going to, it may not rain Trump himself in, but it'll it'll rain some of his power in. But then um, the reason I think that they may have to at some point is because it's kind of like, you know, when one person, uh, you know, writes on one grade level, reading grade level, and one writes on another, Sometimes you have to write down to the reader. You have to adjust the readability. I think Donald Trump is almost in every case with these world leaders the simpler mind, and therefore he doesn't he doesn't understand the nuance, and therefore they may have to match him, not in the classless way, but in that you know stick your chest out style to make him understand exactly um, um, what they're talking about, Tim. Not not sure about that last point. He, he Trump no. is rude and crude. We we know that. Yeah, I mean, but he is playing to two types, and it's not in these other countries. And that's why I don't think their leaders are taking the cue. His supporters absolutely love what he's doing. They perceive that he's being dominant instead of rude. Uh, I tell you who else loves what 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 he did, especially at NATO. It is Russia. Uh, mm-hmm. Putin is just loving this. Um, I, I don't think Trump's own staff loves this. Did you see how Kay Bailey Hutchison and John Kelly reacted at that meeting? I mean, you could just see it in their faces, and 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 then that crock that Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Was saying, you, you know, that uh, oh no no no, he 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 was expecting a full breakfast. Uh, uh, General Kelly was, and uh, he he, and then he found out there was just you know cheese and uh, and pastry. Oh come on, they, they, oh my. <laughs> uh, so so, so to paraphrase, I, I, don't think, uh, I don't think we're world leaders are going to fight. I, I really don't. I don't think world leaders are going to bite and do this 
they're just going to hope for better days in the form of uh, American elections. Well, what I do, I do think that is the first recourse is they're going to wait till 2018. If something were to happen and, and the Republicans stay in total control and Republicans that actually stand up to Donald Trump get punished like Mark Sanford, like John McCain in approval polls, that's when I think they may have to look at the new tact. And, and one thing I do want to tell you is I don't mean be rude. I don't mean be crass. I mean be forceful. I mean be assertive. And, and we've seen politicians oh, yeah. in the past do this in debates. You know, why you, sir, and, you know, I mean, I mean they'll do it respectfully, but they'll do it forcefully. And, and they'll maybe put it in simpler terms. It won't be, you know, you won't need the 10-bullet-point the piece to explain what they meant. It'll be real clear what they meant. Um, and, and that may be what they have to do um, to, to speak down to his level, not get on his level speak down to his level so so he uh, understands or maybe some of his supporters understand or maybe some people on the fence that might cause him to lose power understand uh well we'll see how much time we got to get in this next one but starting tomorrow at some point now of course when you're talking that far away i don't know i think it'll be like six o'clock in the morning our time later their time donald trump is going to meet with vladimir putin and 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 uh, advance of that, he's already, you know, making statements about Russia. Um, one was about how wonderful the World Cup was, and I don't think he was talking about the quality of the soccer games. Um, and and just all this sucking up to um, Vladimir Putin, um, Catherine. Just the the statements that have been made leading into this thing. Not even talking about what we may see that or hear about. I don't think we'll see anything. I think we'll hear about some stuff out of the meeting um donald trump's fascination with vladimir putin and russia continues yep and um i think the the interesting thing to watch will be the difference in his um behavior with putin and the way he dealt with the brits and the other europeans earlier so I think it's going to be a pretty dramatic difference and that is telling as well, you know, that everybody else is watching too. So they'll be like, well, why was he so mean to us and so rude to us? But he's, uh, you know, so pleasant and cooperative with Putin. I think, you know, those things are telling too. We'll see. Yeah. Um, you know, I know he definitely, there's some, he likes his style, but then also people say that maybe Putin has some leverage on him. I don't know what, but it's just completely baffling. Um, Tim, um, your thoughts with his Russian meeting coming up summit, if you will. Oh, must I, (laughs) (laughs) um, you, you know, you sent, you sent us a link to a story, uh, this afternoon, uh, David, and, and I think the story had it just right. Putin will know exactly how to play this guy, and it's through flattery. He'll tell Trump what a great job he's doing and how wonderful everything is and how Russia and the United States have never gotten along better, and it's all thanks to him. And 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 while Trump is loving that sort of thing, which he does, that's when Putin will pick him clean. 
uh, pretty much like the leader of North Korea uh, managed to do some time back. So, uh, you know, Trump actually said that this meeting with Putin would be the easiest part of the trip. Uh, Just imagine any other American president saying that about a meeting with the leader of Russia. My goodness, the the things that could go wrong here. Uh, I just shudder to think about it. What, What is Trump going to say to Russia about the Mueller investigation and what happened at the end of this week over here. Do you actually think he's going to get in Putin's face and, and you know, make demands about that? Or no, no, he's not going to do anything about that. He's going to offhandedly ask him about it, about how serious Putin's going to give him a, well, of course we had nothing to do with it. And Trump, well, that'll be the end of that. I I just don't see where anything good is going to come of this meeting with Putin. But let's be prepared for Trump to say it is the greatest meeting of all time, of course. And all kinds of wonderful things will have happened as a result. And his base will say, oh, yes, you know, so that's that's life in the world, guys. Yes, for the moment, I'm going to have the last word on this. And you were talking about North Korea and comparing it to, their, uh, to that. It was like he lost a game of tic-tac-toe, and he only you know, did two moves on the board. And now he's going to go against Russia, and that's like Putin playing three-dimensional chess. I mean, he has no hopes if he can't negotiate anything with Kim Jong-un uh, with somebody like Vladimir Putin. And that's the saddest thing, and he's so naive he doesn't know. Or he doesn't care, and that could be. He just doesn't care. Because um, there's a whole other level of stuff we just don't know about yet. Um, but I want to move back to America, back to the Keystone State, Pennsylvania, and welcome back, Mike Mickus. Good night, Mike. Hey, David. How are you? Oh, good to have you on again. Um, well, I know that since we talked, a lot's gone on in the Keystone State. And I think Catherine and Tim are going to talk a lot about those congressional elections. But just to start us off, I know that you have. A, and I'm going to try to pull it up so I can get the right races and the right folks in. You have your um, your governor's race, uh, Tom Wolf is the incumbent. You have a U.S. Senate race, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, Bob Casey's running for re-election. Two Democrats, because they're both Democrats from what seems to be a blue wave year, are they in any trouble whatsoever? I, I think that both uh, Governor Wolf and Senator Casey are – in strong position to be reelected, you know, but you have to remember that Donald Trump was able to flip Pennsylvania and win it narrowly. So, you know, the two candidates running, uh, Scott Wagner, he's running against governor Wolf and, uh, uh, Lou Bartoletta, who's running against, uh, Donald Trump were early supporters of Trump in 2000, this 2016 race. And they have, basically embraced the same tactics, the same uh, platform that uh, Donald Trump ran on. So it could be interesting. I think both Senator Casey and Governor Wolf are going to be in good shape, but you never know. Yeah, and it seems to be a lot of these um, Trump-esque Republicans, one of the main things they 
gravitate towards is immigration. Now, um, I'm sure every state in the union has some um, immigration from other nations, but um, Pennsylvania does not border, in particular, Latin America, uh, Central America, a little closer to Canada. Um, Is immigration one of those issues that they're trying to use, and is it going to resonate? They are trying to use uh, immigration as as an issue. Uh, That's actually the issue that put Lou Barletta on the map. He was the mayor of Hazleton, Pennsylvania, where they have a fairly sizable uh, Latino population and actually had some of the laws he enacted as mayor uh, thrown out by the courts. Um, he is he has had affiliations with white supremacist groups. Uh, he is very far to the right on immigration. Uh, I would argue too far to the right for the state of Pennsylvania. I'd say Pennsylvania's, you know, a little more moderate. People want border security. They want to rein in, uh, you know, illegal border crossings. But at the same time. There's a compassion for immigrants, and uh, I think Lou, Lou Barletta in particular is way too far to the right on this issue, and he has aligned himself with some of the most detestable people in our country right now. Yes. Any polling on either one of those races to kind of give us a baseline? Yeah, there have been a number of polls, uh, uh, public polls over the past you know, month or so, uh, maybe six weeks. And both campaigns, or both Democrats, are leading in the mid-double digits. You know, 10, you know, 12, you know, as high as 17 points. So it's looking like fairly comfortable leads. But as we saw in 2016, you know, polling at this point, while it's great, you know, things can change and you have to be put, you know, and I believe these campaigns are putting themselves in a position to maintain these leads, but you you have to run the campaigns. And and so far, both Governor Wolf and Senator Casey are running very strong campaigns. Well, that's good to hear. Well, I saved all of the exciting congressional um, happenings in the Pennsylvania, state of Pennsylvania, with all the districts and new lines to boot. Of course, you had a special election recently. I'm saving all that for Catherine and Kim tonight. Uh, Catherine, questions for Mike. Congressional races, but I'm going to ask about something else. <laughs> all right. Hi, Mike. It's nice to have you on here. I just have to Thanks talk a little me. bit about this. I have to talk about a little bit about this crazy uh, GOP governor's candidate. What is the reaction to this, uh, you know, crazy religion, religious um, fellow that he's got himself connected to is the is the public reacting or is everybody ignoring it well he had a meltdown the other day um he was confronted at a town hall meeting that he was hosting and just so everybody knows uh you know they used to call him the moonies if you remember back in the 80s um it was reverend uh, moon who actually ended up buying the washington times newspaper this was the cult started by him his son has taken over, and, and the new Reverend Moon, uh, a few months back, had a wedding ceremony where they blessed every couple had an AR-15. And they, they actually believe the AR-15 is uh, straight out of the Bible, and they are very anti-LGBTQ, um, and they are a cult. 
And uh, Scott Wagner had a, an event in northeastern Pennsylvania, not far with the, the, where they're from, with the cult leader's brother, who owns a manufacturer, who manufactures firearms, and had an event at his uh, manufacturing plant. And uh, the Reverend Moon offered the invocation at the event. Um, and, and, the, and the amazing thing is, and I don't know what's going on with the Republican Party in Pennsylvania in this cult. In the primary, Scott Wagner's opponent appeared on a on a on a YouTube video interview with uh, the Reverend Moon as well. So, look, I think it's something he he's now claiming that he didn't know that he was going to give the invocation. He didn't know he was going to be there. But everybody knows if you go to Justin Moon's manufacturing plant and have an event, his brother's coming. And so, you know, Scott, what happened was Scott Wagner got caught red-handed thinking he was in rural northeastern Pennsylvania and it would just, you know, go under the radar. He got caught. In fact, one of the cult members asked if he was going to do a YouTube interview with Reverend Moon. And he said, you know, told the guy to talk to his campaign manager and and, and said – you know, look, I'd love to, you know, my campaign manager will handle it, but I want you to know that we agree on 98% of the issues, meaning he agrees with the cult that worships AR-15s is, you know, is anti-LGBT in their teachings. They, they, they claim that the public school system is pushing the quote-unquote homosexual agenda and he's saying that he agrees with them 98% of the time. Uh, that's 98% of the time too much. Uh, so, look, I think that's something that's, you know, it, it's not going to die. It's an issue he's got to an answer for. And, I, and quite frankly, I don't think he has a good answer for it. Oh, well, I'm, uh, there isn't a good answer for it. <laughs> one does not exist. It is one of the most um, bizarre things uh you talk to any reporter or politico on either side of the aisle and everyone is just scratching their heads wondering why these republicans running for governor first uh paul mango in the primary now scott wagner in the general election would associate themselves with this cult and that's what it is it's a cult they worship ar-15s and believe it's directly from the bible and have them as part of their marriage ceremonies. Yes. So yes, there's where each yes, couple has their own interesting. Interest. Well, thank you for that answer. I'm going to pass it to Tim. It might come back to me at some point, but I appreciate your comments on that. I, I, I was just dumbfounded when I read about it. it. It is one of the most shocking things I've ever seen in politics. And I've seen some crazy things along the way. Well, we all have, <laughs> but I agree. This was pretty crazy. Go ahead, Tim. Thanks. Uh, good evening, back. Thank you for being on again with us uh, this evening. Um, some national pundits, Charlie Cook comes to mind, among others. Uh, in recent weeks, they've been moving uh, some Pennsylvania congressional districts toward the Democrats. Uh, districts uh, 16 and 18, or 16 and 8, rather, immediately come to mind. Is that movement unique among a few congressional districts, or is the feeling there that the movement is toward the Democrats statewide? I, I, think, I think it's both. Um, 
you know, they're, they're, they're very different districts. When you go to the west, where the, where the 16th district is, it's in the northwest mm-hmm. corner, which is eerie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it comes down to like ex- exurban Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a district that Trump won by a big number, but it's also right. a district that, that that Barack Obama won. So it's industrial. It's, you know, it's the old industrial towns, a little bit rural, um, and then it's got some exurban uh, suburban communities. You know, with a with more suburban feel. It's an interesting district, and the candidate running there is a guy named Ron D. Nicola who is, I believe, the strongest candidate that you could have found in that district. He graduated from high school, joined the Marines, was a Marine Corps boxing champion, and then got out of the Marines and went to Harvard and then Georgetown Law. Yeah, was Muhammad Ali's attorney for the last 25 to 30 years of his life and very close with Muhammad Ali's family, uh, has done a ton of stuff in the community, you know, bringing community college to Erie uh, County and, and, you know, you know, leading the fight for expanded pre-K. This guy just is a rock star of a candidate and there, his opponent, Mike Kelly is a wealthy businessman, owns car dealerships um, and is just not a very popular figure in that district. Uh, In fact, you know, there was polling released where Trump, Donald Trump had a 54% um, approval rating, whereas Mike Kelly was only viewed favorably by 38%, and it was like 41 42% who viewed him unfavorably. So I think Democrats have a really good shot there. That district is very similar to the district where Connor Lamb won, the eight, which was the 18th district, before the mm-hmm. Supreme Court uh, redrew the districts. Uh, so I think Ron has a really good shot. You know, it's a tough race, but it's he's definitely in the ball game at this point. And then across the street, um, you know, there are three districts in suburban Philadelphia that that are ripe for the uh, picking. And uh, you know, in Bucks County, and unfortunately, they changed the numbers on me, so I don't remember which numbers are which. Um, you know, there's a district that's basically all of Bucks County which is a suburban Philadelphia county, that's going to be a tough race. You have uh, Mike Fitzpatrick, who's a moderate Republican, and running against him is a very wealthy individual named Scott Wallace. Has put a lot of money into it. Um, you know, Mike Fitz, Fitzpatrick has made some smart moves, but at the same time, I, I think, you know, Democrats have a legitimate shot there. And then there are, are districts in Montgomery County and then also in Delaware County, where I think the Democrats are on the move and and very you know should be able to win those fairly easily. And then when you go north up the bo- the border, uh, the Pennsylvania New Jersey border, you have the seventh district where the Democrats have a candidate, Susan Wild, and this district uh, is basically a 50-50 district. I think Trump either won it or lost it by one point, um, and that race is truly up for grabs, but I would, I, if I were betting with all the energy on the Democratic side, I'd probably bet on Susan Wilde. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned Connor Lamb. Of course, that was an earth-shattering moment when, when he won uh, back in March. And, and, of course, now his district has been redrawn into another district. Did he not get drawn into a much 
bluer district than he previously it, was in. Yeah, it's a much, much bluer district. Where the last district was a plus 20 Republican seat um, uh-huh. in terms of performance, it is now a plus three, or in terms of Trump. Trump Trump won it by the old seat by 20. He only won this seat by three. Connor Lamb got drawn in with a, Congress, a, no, a Republican congressman named Keith Rothfuss, who's about as far to the mm-hmm. right as you can get. And this is a, it's a 50-50 district, but I think Keith Rothfuss is just so far out of the mainstream. I, 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 I think Connor Lamb, you know, this, this race is his to lose. And I think he's in a very good spot to win re-election. Okay. Uh, I want to ask you about one more thing, Matt, before I throw it back to uh, David. Uh, Tell us about the Alliance for American Values, who they are, and how you are affiliated with them. Sure. Uh, Well, we just formed last week. Uh, We've registered with the Federal Election Commission, and we're going to be a super PAC. And we're mm-hmm. going to be helping to elect Democrats running for Congress. We haven't decided what races we're going to be playing in yet. Uh, we're in the process of putting a, a statewide board because I, I don't want to be the only one making decisions here. I want to be people from different backgrounds from across the state and know other parts of the state better than I do. And what we're going to do is raise money, and we, and we are already able to secure a $200,000 donor donation from a former Senator our Senate candidate, Katie McGinty, who I had worked for in 2014 and 2016. And, you know, we're still going to think, we're still trying to figure out, you know, how we're going to spend money and, and what tactics we use. But we're going to look at the, the most competitive races in Pennsylvania, and we're going to go in and we're going to spend money and communicate with voters in an effort to help the Democrats. Now, are you talking about largely congressional districts here, or are just, you talking just congressional more local races. stuff? Just yeah, congressional. we're focusing just, just congressional. Pennsylvania is such a key state for the Democrats to take back the majority. We had, you know, because the state Supreme Court threw out the old maps and ended up drawing new districts, you know, Democrats mm-hmm. have, you know, worst-case scenario, are going to pick up probably three seats, maybe as many as five or six out of Pennsylvania, which really helps um, the national Democrats in terms of, you know, getting the number of seats flipped to take back the majority. Pennsylvania, you know, is at the forefront of this fight. And it's important that people that understand Pennsylvania, know Pennsylvania, are engaged in assisting these candidates. And that's why uh, we started Alliance for American Values. All right, that sounds good. And with that, I'm going to throw it right back to David. David? All right, well, Mike, your last answer is going to help me frame my question a little better. You mentioned a a three- to six-seat swing, uh, number of swing districts that could be, depending on how big the wave is. Tell us, let's just say the Democrats only were to win two of those seats. Um, I want you to tell me, which seat is that one that you can look at and tell the Democratic waves anemic? And on the uh, flip side, we win all six. Which one's going to be that last one or that one to come in that we're like, oh, man, this was as big as it could be in Pennsylvania? Yeah, it, it, look, I, I think if, if Ron D. Nicola wins in the 16th district, um, 
or um, in the 10th district, which is a district that goes from um, uh, Harrisburg down to York in central Pennsylvania, that district should be safe for the Republicans. If both, if either one of those or both of those seats go to the Democrats, it is go, you know, and, and these results come in early. You can say for certainty that Democrats nationally are picking up the majority. Uh, those are the seats where you know they're kind of on the outer edges of the target list right now. Uh, and you know, I would say Ron D. Nichols is probably a little closer to being on the target list. Uh, that in the 10th district in central Pennsylvania. Um, but if either one of those go blue, I think it's going to be a very long night for the Republicans. Now, I, I would say the Connor Lamb race and perhaps um, the Scott Wallace, Mike Fitzpatrick races may be indications if they come in and Democrats come up short that, you know, the blue wave was at most a ripple. Um, so I, I look at those four races as being a determinant factor. Um, like I said, I, th- I think Democrats, if even if Ron DiNicola does not is not able to pull it off, they still can win. But if he wins that seat, it's going to be a very very bad night for for Republicans across the country. All right, I have a gut feeling we'll be watching Ron DiNicola's and uh, George Scott, more so than worrying about the re-election of Connor Lamb. Uh, well, I tell you what, let's go back to Catherine quickly since we got just a second. Uh, Catherine? I, I don't have anything more. Go ahead, David. Okay, uh, Tim, you have anything else? Well, I wanted to ask one more, Mike, um, and it's because of the type of TV ads we've been having down here. Uh, such as the Kemp gun ads, for instance, if you've seen any of those. Where he's oh, I, I've been following ads. the race closely. Yeah. Well, you know, then you know that our TV ads in Georgia have largely been either ads like that or they've been pretty vicious attack ads, especially during these runoffs. What type of an ad campaign are you seeing out of campaigns uh, on TV in Pennsylvania. Well, um, the Republican primary was brutal, uh, and the Democrats. There were some primaries, but in you know there were some back and forth, but they weren't terribly nasty. But in the Republican gubernatorial primary, the ads uh, were some of the toughest ads I've seen, uh, and I I think. What we're going to see, and we saw it with the Connor Lamb race, where it was the special election, there was nonstop Republican attack ads. They spent, you know, I think it was well over 11, 10, 11 million dollars attacking Connor Lamb, trying to tie him to uh, Nancy Pelosi. Um, they were very hard hitting. They're, they're, you know, very misleading, but at the same time, you know, I, I think we're going to see a lot of that. Uh, Scott Wilson, because he had a tough Republican primary coming out of, uh, you know, in May, in mid-May, you know, he's just done on TV. Um, it's not a, it's a, it's an attack ad. It's not as vicious as what we'll probably see further down the road. Um, but we're going to see a lot. And uh, the Republicans this year, are going to have to, because they're playing defense, you'll probably see 
negative ads this election cycle than you've ever seen before. Wow. All right. Thanks, Mike. David? Yes. Well, Mike, before you go, I uh, just wanted to give you a chance. You had mentioned uh, the American Values Pack um, you're running. Tell people how they can reach it, find out more information, if they want to donate, get involved, what have you. Certainly. Well, our website is not up yet. We uh, we uh, it came out in the press earlier than we had anticipated, but we will have a website up in, a, in the next week or so. It's going to be allianceforamericanvalues.com. Uh, you know, keep watching. You'll be able to uh, contribute online. You know, Pennsylvania is the tip of the spear, I think, when it comes to the congressional races this year. And I think we're going to have, be able to have a, a a big impact on on both the races here in Pennsylvania, which in the end will have a huge impact on the rate uh, on on the Democrats' um, chances of taking back the House. Yes, well, that's great. And 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 Mike, no worries. You, Tim, and Catherine know how unreliable some of those political website guys can be. I'm sure your guy currently is great, but I know you. You've had some past with some that just couldn't be depended on. <laughs> I'd say I've worked the best, especially when I worked in Georgia. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm kidding around. I, Mike and I did campaigns in the past where I did websites for different campaigns he ran. Um, but I'm out of the business now, so nevertheless. Well, Mike, I want to thank you so much for coming on. We're probably going to have to have you on again before November because I think Pennsylvania is going to be one of the real action spots along with a few other states to look at the control of Congress. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I'd, I'd be glad to come back. I'd be happy to come back on. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank Thanks, you. Mike. Thank you, Matt. Yes. Um, you know, there's a handful of states, Florida, Pennsylvania. There's just a lot of districts in California, not as many, I guess, purple districts like there are in those other two states. But, you know, those states with their size and their, you know, in that case, the new map, um, if you win six seats in one state, which is possible, wow. maybe not, you know, an imminent um, thing, but you very well could. I mean, c- taking control of Congress becomes a lot easier. And also, also it's, it's probably not bad to have a cushion because it seems like you always um, lose a member here and there uh, at times on things. So um, that, that might give us that. Well, let's kind of uh, change gears again. Let's talk about that governor's race that um, you know we, we alluded to a little bit. The prime, the, the runoff and the Republican primary. Uh, it, the race will finally be nine days from now, but we hadn't talked about it in a while. And there's been some new polling out. And Casey Cagle started out with a pretty solid lead. That lead has just diminished and diminished. It's pretty much evaporated. Um, and I guess, Catherine, I'll ask you first, why do you think that it's um, <laughs> Brian Kemp has caught up to Casey Cagle, even though Casey Cagle is the more well-known of the two going into this race? I, I mean, I can't help but think it's because of all this, you know, back and forth with the candidates. And I'm not saying that it's because of the t- of the alleged tape or whatever, but I think, I mean, I think, you know, we always know going into a, runoff that the person in the lead is at a disadvantage. Um, That's been our experience here in Georgia for many years. Um, So 
I think that's one thing. And then I, I don't know if any of you caught the that was on. I re- watched the replay this morning, and it was just like, you know, you're a liar. No, I, you're a liar. No, you're a liar. I'm the most conservative. I, no, I'm the most conservative. I mean, it was just like back and forth like that the whole time. So um, I don't think I don't think it's because either of them have made a mark in their uh, policy. I mean, I don't think there's much difference in the policies they are talking about. But um, I think it's partly that Hegel was the leader and and partly that there's just been so much conversation about this tape. And, you know, maybe people like all that gun talk and, you know, the he has that, another ad now with that kid where he says, you know, you're war- I'm a warman to you. Ugh, the whole thing is so disgusting. But the debate was really yeah, good. Uh, Did either of you see it? Did you see it? I, I did not. Um, Tim? Yeah, I saw it. Wasn't that, wasn't right. it just like, yeah, I mean, it was just yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, and there was no breakout moment and all things being equal in that debate. That means that Kemp won. Right. Yeah, I think that's David. kind of the consensus. While the race would be close, Kemp has all the momentum. Um, Tim? Yeah. Well, you know, you saw the AJCWSB poll. We got Kemp at 44.4, Cagle at 41.1. Um, undecideds at 14.5. Essentially what's happened is that Cagle has not gained any ground hardly since the night of the runoff. I, I thought he was in trouble when he came in with 39%. That was much weaker than he was expected to uh, B and I and I thought that night, shoot, he's going to get beat, and, and I believe it now. You, you know, Kemp has the lead with older voters. Well, that's bad news for Cagle. Older voters are more likely to vote, especially in in like runoffs like this. Um, that secret recording did hurt that Catherine mentioned. Trump loyalists. They could have been a huge factor. Well, guess what? They're kind of split on their votes here. Again, I think that's bad for for Keiko, who needs to grab on to something. And if he could grab on to Trump, that would be a good thing right now for him to to grab on to. Gun owners. Well, you know, Keiko got the endorsement of the NRA, but according to polling, Kemp leads by eight points. Among gun owners, of course uh, he does. You can even in commercials that that were Kago has sort of a desperate look to him, and Kemp looks more like a candidate who is ahead. Um, I, I guess you know they say turnout is everything. Well, it started out pretty slow in this runoff. It's picked up some in recent days, depending on where you are. Uh, Cobb is up, Cherokees is down. Um, it, it's, 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 it, I think it's going to be tough, David, for uh, and Catherine for Cagle to pull this thing out, don't you? 
Yeah, I definitely think that, that he's, he's lost all momentum. Now, Tim, I think you're right that Donald Trump is overarching on this primary, uh, but and as, long as he does in every Republican primary and probably every race in the country, um, uh, really, of either party. Um, but in this case, Nathan Deal is term limited, not running for governor. Uh, he is, pro- according to poll uh, uh, approval ratings statewide, he's probably the most popular politician in Georgia. He endorsed Casey Cagle. I have the gut feeling that it really won't move these numbers much. Catherine, do you share that opinion? And if so, any idea why or why not? Sorry, I had you on mute. Um, I do share that opinion. I, I, um, I just, I, I'm just not sure what what all these all, all this impact is going to be. The one thing I will say is, um, you know, this is always a tough thing. You know, I want um, Stacey Abrams to run against the the candidate that she can beat, and I think that candidate is uh, Brian Kemp. But at the same time, if she doesn't win, then we end up with Brian Kemp as governor, and I think that's bad, worse than Cagle. So I don't know what to say. Yeah, I think you're right. It is much worse than Cagle. Okay, Tim, I'm going to lay out a um, scenario for you. Um, Nathan Deal is running again, whether he's allowed to have a third term or he's only served one term, but he's going to have all this stuff done in the last four years if this is the case. He puts on an ad in the Republican primary. I created the um, film tax credit, and we've brought X number of films and X number of you know, dollars to um, Georgia. It has bipartisan support. We've brought Porsche and, I believe, Mercedes-Benz headquarters, brought NCR headquarters, we created jobs. Now, we know that other people besides just the governor bring it, but he's talking about jobs. He says, oh, I fully funded, um, you know, the QBE formula for the first time in how many every year since the recession. Now, a lot of it has to do with the national recession, but still, he could claim credit for it. He runs that ad in the Republican primary. Brian Kemp is his opponent. Brian Kemp runs the same old ads with Billy the boyfriend and the shotgun, and then he runs around <laughs> his backyard blowing stuff up with dynamite and, and chainsawing stuff apart and everything else. Who wins that primary? Uh, Nathan Deal with some results that he can claim that are good for pretty much the populace of Georgia. Brian Kemp acting like a right-wing crazy man with a chainsaw and dynamite. Well, of course, the governor is going to win. He is the incumbent. The incumbency is everything. He does have a good economic record to run on, and that that would probably, you just described his introductory ad, I think, into the campaign, and uh, he would win overwhelmingly. I doubt if Kemp would even stand up and run against him. Uh, For some reason, though, here, for some reason here, this race is being treated like a total disconnect from that governor. You would think Casey Cagle could have claimed that mantra for himself. And it just never did happen. He could have run 
to be the third term of Nathan Deal, essentially. And for some reason, it there was a total disconnect, and it just really did not happen. And as a result, the guy with the ads that everyone is talking about uh, is the guy that's going to prevail, right? Uh, Tim, I, I, you may be right about Nathan Deal still could use the incumbency and prevail. One would hope. But the, you kind of hit the nail on the head, too. One, I do believe it would be a much closer race than it ever should be. And two, isn't that essentially what Casey Cagle came out of the um, starting gates with in his first ad or two? It talked about job growth. It talked about him being lieutenant governor and presiding over the Senate where they did the tax yeah, credit. And it talked about um, uh, technical education and expanding technical, technical education, which is pretty popular across the board. And it didn't resonate with anybody because it seems like the Republican Party is fooled by these crazy right-wing parlor tricks like blowing stuff up with dynamite and, and pulling out shotguns left and right with no discernible reason. Um, and 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 okay. there was still though this disconnect, wasn't there, between yeah. Cagle and the governor, as if they had never been connected at all in the minds of the voters, and that part I really don't understand. Yes, uh, Catherine, I'm gonna let you have the last word, but it's kind of funny. It reminds me of a race two years ago when a pretty popular incumbent president had his Secretary of State run, and for some reason um, she, she couldn't close the deal to be Obama's third term. No, it's a little different, but this is the case where the person trying to receive the mantle in the same party just didn't getting it done. Um, Catherine? Yeah, I um, I don't know if it's because there uh, – I, I don't remember where there were – there... Was there any bad blood between yeah, – well, you know, they both ran for governor back in uh, whenever, eight years ago, right? And, I don't uh, think – Maybe there's some bad blood. I don't, yeah. So yeah, he, I don't know. So I don't know if uh, he, there's just – go ahead. No, no. He, he, he ran in 2006 the first time for lieutenant governor, and then he never um, ran when people expected him to. Um, when Deal came up, people thought oh, he might right. run. He didn't. Um, so he kind of bought out of his time a little. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know um, if there's. I mean, there must be some reason that he was so. Um, you know, I mean, maybe he felt like he needed to stand on his own or some something like that. But I do think that we do that the the right does fall for these you know, trickster ads, you know, this gun-toting, pickup-driving, you know, it's it seems to satisfy their, um, their outsider, their idea that it should be an outsider. Not that Brian Kemp could ever be considered an outsider, nor could Casey Cagle. I yeah, don't know, we'll I mean, I don't... Yeah, I don't. I don't exactly know how. Twenty years ago, I found a Ford dealership and bought a vehicle. 
is a job qualification for political office. But apparently a lot of Republican voters um, think that. And I say that as a truck. I, I have a truck. I have a kind of a sport track. But still, you know, I mean, I'm not against trucks. But it, for some reason that they think that's some type of qualification that you can go buy an automobile um, or you bought it a long time ago. Uh, Tim, you probably live in an area with a lot more trucks than Catherine does. Um, what is what is the political cachet to a pickup truck? <laughs> you know, I don't know, but uh, Fred Thompson did that very effectively uh, up there in Tennessee when he ran. He he jumped in a pickup truck and put on a flannel shirt. Look at me, folks. I'm just like you. Um, a couple of generations ago, neither one of you, of course, recall this here in Georgia, but a candidate by the name of Jimmy Carter did that very well by framing his gubernatorial opponent as uh, Cufflinks Carl, you know, with the fancy suit, the fancy lawyer. And Jimmy Carter put on his flannel shirt and went to raking peanuts on a commercial into a machine and saying, could you imagine any of the other candidates for governor doing this? But they connected on a personal level with voters who understood that by saying, look, I'm just like you. I think just like you. I am one of you. Who do you want? in office representing you except a person like you. It's a very powerful, very well, I think it worked in this gubernatorial race as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the the craziest thing about it all is I don't really think that's authentically who Brian Kemp is. You know, if it was authentically who he was, it would be a a little more plausible and understandable. Yeah, but but David, television is not about reality; it's about perceptions of reality. We know that. Exactly, exactly right. Went to a political conference over ten years ago, probably getting close to fifteen. The guy that ran Arnold Schwarzenegger's campaign in in uh, California for the recall said, "Perception is reality. Reality is not what mm-hmm. you you focus on." And it was kind of sadly, you focus on the perception of reality. And used to right. the perception of reality at least somewhat was related to reality. Unfortunately, a lot of our races today, it seems like it's a total funhouse mirror of reality. Right. Well, um, guys, we went a few minutes over. Hope it was worth it. Um, thanks again to Mike Mitkus. And next week, I guess we're going to have to make final predictions on these races. And I'm sure that the um, man that lives at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue will give us a topic or two, as he always does. Bye, everybody. Yes, he will. Good night, night, guys. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.